You're listening to Trending with Timory, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. National speaker Timory Millington has been a passionate advocate for life as long as she can remember, helping Gen X through Z answer the call to true feminism and authentic manhood. Timory holds a master's degree in biblical theology, and she covers this week's hottest stories from a Catholic worldview. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Has anyone been paying attention to almost like the underlining attitude of some people concerning the coronavirus? We are seeing the death tolls are continuing to rise. Uh, We're seeing that there are more um, cases of people who have contracted the virus. We are seeing people, you know, completely isolated on cruise ships and in apartment buildings and whole cities are completely shut down. Yet at the same time, behind the scenes, I'm looking at how the American people are responding to this. And I think there's something wrong. We're going to be talking about that in just a minute. My guest today is Michael Gaspar, a regular guest here on Trending. You may remember last year he joined us for the first time sharing his own testimony about having experienced same-sex attraction when he was in high school and going through a healing journey and really finding joy within the virtue of chastity. He is an ardent believer in our Catholic faith, and he's not trying to live contrary to it. In fact, he's trying to live by what the church teaches, and his testimony is absolutely phenomenal. If you have not heard it, you can head over to radiotrending.com and pull up your favorite podcast. But Michael is now a marriage and family therapist, and he works with the Breakthrough Clinic in Los Angeles. Thanks for being with us, Michael. Glad to be here, Timory, as always. Okay, we're going to dive into some topics such as uh, desire and consent within sexual intercourse. We'll even be talking a little bit about kind of the craziness of fantasies within that realm that people are touching on and a whole lot more, including why is it that we see feminization so much so in the LGBTQ movement of men? So we'll be diving into these issues, but I want to start, I want to get your take on this. Have you been paying attention to how people are reacting to the coronavirus? Like, do you see any issues with it? I think the thing that I've noticed is that there's a lot of fear. And anytime there's fear, that's a good yellow flag of maybe not a full red flag, full stop, but a yellow flag of, okay, where is this fear coming from? Because the spirit of God is not one of fear. Mm. That's my first instinct when Mm -hmm. I hear about that. Where is the fear coming from? I really like that you point out fear because sometimes fear can make us do different things, such as it can make us maybe laugh when things are inappropriate. And someone was talking to me the other day about how they can't believe how many jokes and memes people are putting out there about the coronavirus. And I thought it was interesting because... You know, I think that one of the typical things sometimes of the millennial generation is they don't know what to say. And so they laugh at inappropriate things, whether it's an inappropriate joke, an inappropriate circumstance. Um, But at the same time, I think that sometimes people care so little about things that they just make a joke out of it. Like if my life really doesn't matter that much, if people don't matter that much, everything's just a lark to me. And I think that that's part of what's behind it at the same time. That might be part of it. I, I think that's an interesting take. It's also important to remember that sometimes laughter is a defense mechanism against anxiety. Mm -hmm. So sometimes when people fear dying, then they laughter. We all have partly a fear of death. It's kind of natural as humans. 
And if this fear is heightened through the possibility of a pandemic or a virus coming that is uncertain or unpredictable, anxiety comes up for a lot of people. And so laughter helps to release some of that anxiety. Now, maybe it's not always a bad thing. It's good to laugh, and sometimes it's helpful and healthy. But I think what you're highlighting, Tim Marie, is that if we're laughing at the expense of others, sometimes it can create a culture of, of negativity, first of all. And second of all, if we're afraid, laughter might help temporarily, but ultimately we have to come to terms with our mortality, too. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's an opportunity for us to also reflect on ancient traditions of our church, like memento mori, remember your death, remember the four final things. And that might also you know, help overcome some of that same anxiety without maybe using humor at the expense of others. I like it. That's Michael Gasparro of the Breakthrough Clinic. He's an associate marriage and family therapist, and he especially works with people who experience same-sex attraction. Maybe you are in that boat. Maybe you want to live according to your Catholic faith, but you're having a difficult time with these deep-seated desires. Michael is one of the many people out there who are helping people to work through past traumas, various things like OCD and other issues that are going on that are behind what's maybe your struggle at this time. So we'll be talking about some of those things a little later on. You're listening to Trending with Timory. Michael, here's another take I have on the coronavirus as I'm looking at it. And this was my initial reaction. You know, I don't want to get into the whole debate over vaccinations. I'm not going there. People are crazy over it. <laughs> but what I am thinking here in relation to the coronavirus, in relation to the issue of death and dying, as you were just talking about, and even kind of almost touching on this attitude over vaccines, I'm realizing that we almost have this diseased view of the human person and that people are to be avoided. And I think that part of the problem with this is we've lived in a society where we've entered into the realm of gene editing, where if we think someone's not going to be a healthy human being, um, we're going to work on editing their genes. We're going to work on saying, oh, wow, is this man and woman really compatible? Maybe we should do, you know, tests looking into their health histories before we encourage them to have children. And maybe we might even use selective birth instead of people call it selective birth and selective instead of selective abortion abortion um, to decide who should live and who should die. For example, various countries, including the United States, have almost completely obliterated the Down syndrome um, from their nation because they are aborting children who have any inclination possibly of a Down syndrome diagnosis. And so I'm looking at this and Michael, I want to hear your thoughts on this because a friend that said this, I said, I think that We have a diseased view of the human person. And she responded to me the other day and she said, I think we just don't even know how to coexist with disease and death anymore. I think the first thing that your listeners might remember along with me is how Jesus treated the disease of his time. The lepers who are cast from society, who are on the fringes of the culture, unable to participate in normal everyday functions, instead of just praying for them, he literally went to them and did the one thing you should never do, touch them Mm -hmm. in the very places where they were most diseased. So Jesus modeled this for us 2,000 years ago. St. Teresa of Calcutta comes to mind as modeling this in the 20th century, where the diseased, the infirm, the dying, she put her hands in their wounds. She didn't for the sake of her own protection. Now, could I do that? I don't know. By God's grace and strength, hopefully, but I more look to them as models and think, where can I do that better in my life? And touching it back to the same-sex attraction issue, sometimes our friends or colleagues or family members 
who have an experience of same-sex attraction that don't respond to it the way we hope, if they identify as gay, for instance, we can treat them like lepers sometimes and mm. just push them out and get rid of them. And that's another example where it's not the coronavirus, obviously, but it's this expendable uh, view of human, the human person instead of being in the trenches with them. And, and those workers of the coronavirus, uh, the people that are trying and getting in there to help others, they're examples today of Christ-like sacrifice, of putting themselves at risk to help other people who the world might have written off as expendable. Mm -hmm. You know, Michael, as you were talking, you know, I think that this idea of not being able to coexist with death and disease slides right into, as you're saying, we can't even coexist with disagreement, you know, and it's so unfortunate that we (laughs) treat people who think differently than us and act differently than us um, like they are lepers in society. And we make jokes about it. We avoid it. Yet at the same time, people keep talking about tolerance. I think we just live at a time that is so intolerant in this coronavirus to me. I mean, what a low view of the human person. And again, I'm no medical doctor, but when I hear about people on a cruise ship locked in their rooms, not able to interact, like there's got to be a more humane way to treat a sick individual. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's concerning to me for sure. I was with a friend, funny enough, last night talking about this very issue who's a medical doctor, and he said that is a nightmare scenario for everyone involved. And so while I don't have an exact solution, I think we can all agree that that is less than ideal. Right. We, we, people deserve better. And what's funny is that friend of mine is actually somebody who used to be more in line with Christian teaching on sexuality and now lives a gay lifestyle. And what's interesting about that is we chose to still get together for dinner, and uh, we expressed yesterday something in our conversation that we hadn't talked about recently, which was I was able to ask him about his beliefs in God. And he was able to share that he still believes in God and a Creator because he's such a marvel and a wonder for the human person and the creation that he sees of God all around him. And what's the reason I'm bringing this up is because it's so important to remember that if we had written each other off because of our different beliefs, we wouldn't have been able to break bread and explore his connection with the divine. And that I can affirm in him, I said, keep seeking God, keep seeking truth. Even if right now he's away from the faith, there's a seed that's been planted by the Holy Spirit, and when we can love each other even amidst our differences, we have a chance that God can work through us to encourage that seeking of the divine, even if they're struggling in that moment. Michael, this is such a good challenge for each of us because sometimes I think we get comfortable in our own comfort in terms of the people we're around. And sometimes we wrongly shut the door on interacting with other people. And they don't necessarily have to be your best friend. I'm not telling you to expose yourself Mm -hmm. to bad behaviors. But I also find that when we're living a good, healthy lifestyle, when people are around us who live contrary lifestyles are nearby, they usually have a level of respect for us and our views. If they don't, that's when you push them away. Otherwise, welcome Mm -hmm. them into the fold and have those conversations when the opportunity arises. I agree completely. And make sure you know your own self well enough to know when that relationship is something you need to let go of. That's Michael Gaspar of the Breakthrough Clinic. We'll be talking here on Trending Next about desire and consent. You know, we have this attitude of whatever I want today works and whatever I want tomorrow will work even if it's different. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T I M M E R I E. 
You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. I love having today's guests with us. If you're just joining us, my guest is Michael Gasparo, and he lives passionately according to the Catholic Church's teaching on sexuality. In fact, he's even a youth minister and also an associate marriage and family therapist with the Breakthrough Clinic. He works in a form of therapy therapy called reintegrative therapy. Michael, where's the website where people can learn more about that? Check us out at reintegrativetherapy.com for more information about the work we do. And that website is usually in your links on your on your page. And you can also look us up at thebreakthroughclinic.com where we treat a variety of psychological concerns for people such as addiction and other compulsive behaviors. Excellent. So I want to talk to you about desire. On Trending over the last week, I had Father Robert Spitzer on with me, and we talked a lot about desire and the four levels of desire and what is the highest and best type of desire and what's kind of the worst. And so profound, always such a joy to have him. But I was thinking a lot about desire in terms of sexuality. And it's so fascinating to me because When we talk about desire in our modern culture, it really is determined according to whatever I want to do today works. I can go with it. I can run with it. And if my desires change tomorrow, well, then good on you. You know, go for it. Do whatever you want tomorrow. If you change day to day, it doesn't matter. And we have this very self-centered idea of how our desire functions in society. And we think, I think we really forget about the other person in the midst of that especially whenever the other person is someone that we feel like we have the right to use for some reason. Mm -hmm. A lot of this comes down to objectification. It's funny because in our culture, there are a couple of limitations, and it's if it's illegal, that's basically the only one, or if it's hurting you. But even if it's hurting you, limitation on desire is super subjective. There's very little clarity around that. Whereas when we have an objective moral worldview, we're able to look at our desires through a filter that is actually more in line with reality. And that's what's so cool about the Catholic Church teachings on sexuality. They're based in reality. And if you believe that we are living, breathing human persons in a real material world, then the reality of our body should have something to say about what intrinsically is healthy sexual desire and what maybe is leading us on a path away from human flourishing. You know, it's interesting. I want to talk a little bit about consent, because I think the only hindrance I see in our society right now over desire is consent. Well, your desire is totally fine, totally agreeable, totally good, as long as the other person consents. Now, if that person doesn't consent, go ahead and find someone else who will. But instead, we should have the idea if someone's not willing to do something, that should be a big red flag for us that something's off. And it's not anymore. And it's sad because this is what has influenced teens so much today that another person's desire really rules over them in many ways. But then also, okay, well, if you're not going to do this with me, I'll just find someone else. And you hear a lot of, unfortunately, boys in particular saying this to girls today, for example, in high school. And that's such an interesting point you're making about consent. Is that really enough to base a moral argument off of? A lot of people would consent to things that are morally reprehensible that most of society would still agree are not good. But then we get into the gray zone where some people think it's good and some people think it's bad. And so that's why consent is such a bad indicator for moral 
reality. <laughs> we have to look at something deeper and more concrete. Illegal is not always moral. Right. Legal is not always moral. So we as Catholics especially should not be relying on, A, the laws of our society, or B, the subjective experience of someone else's sexual interest to determine what our proper action should be to help lead us toward a free and full life. Amen to that. That's Michael Gasparro. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. Michael Gasparro is an associate marriage and family therapist practicing reintegrative therapy. You can learn more about that at reintegrativetherapy.com. So I keep thinking about how there's so many desires that we have that change. I, For example, and it's a silly example, but it's so true. I may really, really, really want sugar on a Saturday night. Now, I have health issues. I have an <laughs> I autoimmune disease. <laughs> if I eat a certain amount of a sugar, Michael, I am more than sick. And in fact, I do not want it for a long time because of how it Mm. makes me feel. In fact, maybe I might even see that. Like I had chicken and gluten-free waffles I made a couple weeks ago. I got really sick Mm -hmm. after, okay? I have had an aversion to gluten-free waffles and chicken. And did I say chicken? I meant burgers. Burgers for weeks, okay? I do not want it. I do not desire it any way. It makes me feel sick to think about it. So which desire is right and which desire is wrong? I think that we're at this point where we're so confused. Like, we can have totally opposing desires and think both are totally okay. Now, I may be using food as an example, but come on, is using sex as an example that much more serious of an issue when we're just going with whatever we feel at the moment? And I think we can help our secular counterparts and even people in our own faith reflect on this with the food example is a great opportunity to make it visceral, but also just to reflect on how they feel using mindful awareness. Because as Catholics, we believe that faith and reason work together. So if our faith tells us that something's immoral or wrong, it's not leading us towards feeling peaceful, joyful, free. So if people are engaging in the hookup culture or they're engaging in homosexual acts, that intrinsically those things are disordered as Catholics. And so it won't lead to fruit of joyfulness and peace. So if we can also help ask questions beyond just like saying, stop it, don't do that. I mean, maybe you can warn people, you know, like you're going to get chlamydia or something bad's going to happen. <laughs> but if you can ask questions of people, hey, how did you feel after that? If people will check in with themselves, even if their conscience isn't completely pricked yet by guilt or an awareness of what they did is wrong, there can be very tangible things that they're experiencing, such as anxiety, such as nervousness or feelings of abandonment after casual sexual encounters Mm -hmm. that we can utilize to help people bring awareness to the longing of the human spirit that is not fulfilled through this disordered practice. Michael, can you talk to how we can better address sometimes and, you know, whether maybe you're experiencing same-sex attraction, maybe you're battling with some type of vice or sin. How do we address um, the way aversions influence natural desires? Aversion should, in theory, lead us towards healthy sexual desire. However, some people This is very complex for them if they have a sexual trauma or molestation or other issues. So this is why we want to hold two things in balance with each other. One, an awareness of rightly ordered sexuality. This is why the Church's declarative teachings of healthy human sexuality are actually such a gift to people who experience sexual chaos. And that aversion to certain sexual acts can be a form of sexual chaos. So if somebody 
has this experience of chaotic aversion to either healthy things or natural aversion to unhealthy things, the base point, the anchor of healthy sexuality, meaning men and women, sexual union and intimacy in a marital relationship, that can be an anchor point for those people struggling with this wide-swinging sexual spectrum that they don't know how to make sense of. And so while other people kind of frame the Church as being restrictive, I actually think that this can be a real point of compassion for those people dealing with various kinds of sexual chaos in their life. Let's go ahead and touch on the Netflix series that has come out in partnership between Netflix and Vox. By the way, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Timory. If you'd like to learn more, maybe hear about various topics throughout the week and get a little bit of what's going on in my life, you can follow me on Instagram at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. Again, that's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E, where we'll keep you updated on all the topics and things we are discussing on Trending. So I was watching, um, I should say, listening to a little bit of one of the episodes uh, from Sex Explained. You and I were talking about how it is actually, we were expecting it might be graphic. It was. So I just listened to, and part of the reason why, and you were saying this too, is because teenagers are watching this and we need to have some idea of what they're being told. And it's just horrific. If anyone hears or knows about Sex Explained, make sure you let other parents know, teens know. It's just not the right thing to be watching. Um, but this basic mm-hmm. sex ed program, they dive into the topic of sexual fantasies. And what stood out to me about that, and I know this is something you've seen in working with your clients as well, Michael, is that it holds such a low view of the human person and really just subjects the person as an ends to my own means, whatever my fantasy or desire might be. And the show just really tries to validate that, well, everyone has fantasies and you probably have fantasies too, because in all of the reports kind of studying sex, you know, everyone has fantasies and it's not just boys, it's women too. And it's so sad because it reduces the person to just getting something I want rather than looking at them as someone good to be sought after. And that particular aspect of objectification and culture, it's funny because it's something that the culture wrestles with a lot. At one In one breath, they say, don't objectify women. And in the next breath, they say, well, of course, objectify women because you should get what you want out of your sexual life with them and make her take you know birth control so you can have sex without any concern about pregnancy. And so it's this very contradictory message. And Look, I have shared with my testimony on the radio show. No one is perfect. I, least of all, I'm not going to throw stones from a glass house. I have a struggle throughout my life. I work to integrate my sexuality in accordance with the church teaching. But as Catholics, we have a gift to share with the world, which is don't reduce your entire value or identity to the sexual proclivities that come up in your mind. Because I promise you this, it might feel fun for a little bit, but after a while, to start to see either A, how shallow it is, or B, something scary and unpleasant will come up for you eventually, and then you'll have to really take stock of why you put your identity in that to, to begin with. You know, we make such a justification for different types of lifestyles, fantasies, and desires. There's no surprise then that we are seeing this normalization of sexually transmitted diseases. I, mean, I was looking at something the other day, and I know you and I are going to talk about it. There was a photo that Planned Parenthood posted of an 11th grade talking about how STIs are normal. And, you know, this is what happens when anything goes. We justify things to the point where STDs for children are discussed as if they're okay. Okay.
You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. You're listening to Trending with Timory. I thought gay celibacy was my only option. Unfortunately, this is the testimony that maybe you yourself are living by, what you believe, that if I want to be Catholic, my only option with experiencing a same-sex attraction is to be celibate. That's not your only option. And we're going to dive into this because there was an article and his work continues to be made public by a Catholic, Patrick Gotham, who's choosing, no, I'm not living by the chaste option of the church. In fact, I don't really hear him talking about chastity. I only hear him talking about celibacy. I feel like this man only thinks that he has the option to be a priest, a brother, um, and doesn't see what chastity is, which is so unfortunate. I have with me today Michael Gasparo, who is an associate marriage and family therapist, but he himself is walking the walk. He, I mean, he is living it. He has experienced same-sex attraction and comes from the perspective of his story as someone who is living a chaste lifestyle. Michael, what are your thoughts on Patrick's story? Well, the first thing is I want to celebrate the reality that Patrick was brave enough to share his story. So I applaud Patrick being willing to put out there publicly his feelings, his thoughts, his frustrations, because that does take a certain amount of courage. But the very first thing I noticed when you spoke in this introduction is the term gay celibacy is actually intrinsically a term. That's not real, because celibacy isn't gay at all. Celibacy is not sexual. It's the opposite of sexual. So that in and of itself is the first falsehood, and we know the devil's in the details. Right, mm-hmm. So when you tell people gay celibacy, well, sorry, that's not even a real thing. It's either you're celibate or you're enacting your sexuality in some way or another. And either you're enacting it in a way that it's chaste or you're enacting it in a way that is not chaste. And let me promise you something. I'm human and imperfect. But the closer I come to living chastely according to my state in life, the more peace and freedom I feel, the less I'm enacting my chastity according to my state in life. The times where I'm struggling, temporary, or the times where I slip up or make a mistake or have a fall, I promise you I feel less peace and less freedom from our Lord Jesus Christ. So to pretend that the only option is either to enact homosexuality or to be miserable and celibate is a false dichotomy Not only is it dangerous, it's untrue for many people. I can't speak for Patrick, but I can speak for myself, for many of my clients who are in reintegrative therapy, and for many of my friends who walk this similar path. Michael, I want to get your take on this because... You know, people might get upset that I'm making a little bit of a presumption here, but if you know Patrick Gotham's story, and I know a lot of people have come across it over the years, and Patrick, he says he is Catholic, but he says that there's another option. He thought that gay celibacy was his only option. Again, there's no such thing, but he says, I was wrong. And it's interesting because first I start thinking, well, that sounds a little bit like the Tower of Babel, one of the earliest stories we learn from scripture where we kind of define and create our own reality and we push God off to the side. We don't know him. But I'm looking at Patrick's story, Michael, and he shares, you know, I fled to the seminary. I fled to try and become a religious brother and, you know, beg for my food. I thought that, you know, those were my only options for someone like me. You know, he tried living as a 
a celibate man, you know, a single life, you know, teaching the Catholic Church's teaching to high schoolers. He, you know, dove into a lot of youth ministry. And this man, I do see, really does love his faith and he has tried. And so people might look at you and I, Michael, and say, this man has tried everything. Doesn't he deserve to be happy? And this is kind of one of his conclusions. And his conclusion essentially is that, you know, is there an option for you to share dignity, love, and marriage with me, someone like me? Is that possible? Can you share with me the crumbs from your table so that I can too be dignified, loved, and maybe even marry? But as I'm hearing his story, and again, this is a little bit of a presumption on my end. I want to hear your thoughts, Michael. There's got to be something like a porn addiction or something going on that's keeping him from being able to live that chaste lifestyle. Well, I can't speak for Patrick, but he's openly public on social media about his relationship with with other men. So if you want to look into his personal life, um, he has made that very public. He has a blog about it. So you can explore his own journey and story on your own if if your listeners want to hear more about him. But he has publicly relinquished celibacy as his uh, path. So that's his choice to do it publicly. He wants people to know that this is the path he's on. So with that in mind, do I think it's possible for there to be another option for him? Yes. And the, the sad thing is, look, I'm not here to judge or throw stones. I like that Patrick highlights that people who are struggling with same-sex attraction, who are living a gay lifestyle, still have the fruit of the Holy Spirit in different ways in their life. Of course they can. There are people who I know who are heterosexuals, who are living in sin, who have maybe moved in together before they were married and done things that are contradictory to our church teachings, and God is still at work in their life in some way. Far be it for me to take away the ability to see God's movement in their life in a lot of beautiful ways. It doesn't change the fact that the aspect he's arguing for, which is the same-sex sexual enactment, is not leading towards the fruit, and it's limiting the potential work that God is doing, because any sin inhibits our spiritual, temporal, emotional growth in some way. So you don't get to have your cake and eat it too if you're a Catholic in that way. You have to be willing to look intrinsically at yourself and say, not only is God at work in my life in area A, B, and C, but He wants to keep being at work in my life in area D, E, and F, because He doesn't leave us where He found us. He calls us to conversion, to more freedom, to more truth, and more of the ability to love others. And one last thing I'll say, Timory, is it's not just about you or me. And so when you enact sexually with another person of the same gender, you hurt them through your sexual enactment by limiting either A, their ability to enact their vocation as a celibate person or as a married person to the someone of the opposite sex, and you might put them in some ways in physical spiritual harm's way. So if you're not willing to look at the way your actions enact, enacted impact other people, you actually might not be as loving towards them as you're claiming to be. You know, I keep coming back to St. John Paul the Great and his theology of the body when looking at this issue, because we do have to bring, well, what has the church taught all along? Why does it matter so much? You know, we talk about this, the fact that sexual intimacy is for a male and a female together, that marriage is for a male and female. Why does that matter so much? If you're just joining us, you're listening to Trending with Tim Rate. My guest today is associate marriage and family therapist, Michael Gasparo. You can listen to more episodes and follow us on social media at radiotrending.com. 
Michael, when I'm looking at this, I keep thinking about how St. John Paul the Great in his Theology of the Body discussed the primordial sacrament, you know, that primary sacrament of the church from the beginning of time. And he points back to how one of the first things that is said to Adam and Eve is to be fruitful and multiply, to cleave to your spouse, the two become one flesh. And in Part of what was so important about that is that God speaks to us through marriage, through procreation. God speaks to us. It's not just about the fact that we are repopulating the earth and the species goes on and more people are able to praise God. But that marriage covenant is actually a symbol of God's love for us. And that's why when we read all throughout the Old Testament, we read about how God is being faithful to his people. And we read in Ephesians 5 about how this ideal for marriage of husbands and wives being mutually submissive to each other and the wife being submissive to the husband and the husband laying down his life for the church. It then goes on to say, this is a great mystery. And I'm talking about Christ and the church. Because ultimately, Christ's sacrifice for us is shown in marriage covenantal type language. This is how we learn. And God ordained it to be between one man and one woman. And we see, Michael, you and I talk about this all the time. Things go wrong physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically when we deviate from how sexual intimacy was created to be between one man and one woman for the purpose of that completed sexual act, the only way the body parts properly fit together. Full, fruitful, and faithful. That's the term I hear a lot to describe Catholic marriage, heterosexual marriage. And so with that in mind, the creative process of of sexually coming together with a man and a woman and having a a baby be fruitful from that, uh, that in and of itself is representative of God's creative work in the world. So I ask your listeners, if you think that that's the same thing as two men or two women, I want you to tell me then the question you, the onus is on you to answer, where is the creative potential reflecting God's creative life in, in the sexual union between two people of the same gender? Because it doesn't exist. And so if you have an answer for that, I'd like you to reflect on it, your listeners on, them, on their own. And the other thing to remember is my clients at Reintegrative Therapy, many of them feel called to be married to somebody of the opposite sex. So I'm to condemn Patrick for his own path, but I will not stand by while people claim to have the full answer for every person who deals with same-sex attraction. And I know that myself and my clients, many of them are able to live full, fruitful, and faithful heterosexual marriages, even if they have come through and experienced this unwanted same-sex attraction. But in the gay identity did not suffice for them, and they did not feel limited in pursuing their vocation to heterosexual marriage. Nothing about their experience of same-sex attraction stopped them from wanting to pursue or being able to pursue a full fruitful and faithful heterosexual marriage. And we want listeners to know that that is possible for some people who want to seek it. We're going to come back talking about the sexualization and really the feminization of the LGBTQ movement in just a minute here. But I want to just pick your brain. If you're listening, I want you to think about this. This fruitful side of marriage is so important. And so someone like Patrick is saying, well, why can't you share marriage? Why can't you share family? And he even says, sex is about more than just the feeling and the experience. He agrees with us. It's about kids. It's about settling down, about raising a family. Okay, but if it's about kids, 
it's not just about me, myself, and I having a kid. It's about the best possible outcome for children. And that's what's wrong with so much of what's going on in our culture from gene editing, surrogacy, IVF, and even the adoption of children from single parents at times. That is, we're denying the child a right to both a mother and a father. Timory will be right back. Send her a tweet at Timory. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. You're listening to Trending with Timory, where morality and culture meet, offering an eternal perspective on today's hottest topics. We are back and we're talking about the issue of essentially chastity. You guys, this is what it's all about. Michael Gasparo is here with me. He's an associate marriage and family therapist. He works with people who experience same-sex attraction. If you're just joining us, this has been a great episode. I ask you to go back, head over to radiotrending.com to catch this episode because we're talking about someone who has shared their testimony online very publicly, Patrick Gotham. You know, He says, I thought gay celibacy was my only option. He says, he was wrong. And so Michael and I are talking about well, why is marriage so good? What is there to offer? And Michael has a unique perspective because he also has walked this walk and he has chosen to live a chaste, faithful Catholic lifestyle. But Michael, when people come out sharing their stories such as this, especially from you having been down this path, what is the best thing for us to do in responding directly to them? And maybe that's you, the listener. Maybe how do you wish that we were responding to you? I think one good thing for your audience to remember is that everyone is made in the image and likeness of God, as we all know. Even the people that write blogs that we disagree with or don't like or are really untruthful. And so it's good that we talk about these ideas with fervency and with a sense of clarity, but we also treat the people with compassion. And so for Patrick and whoever like him share these things, we want to show them love, which means being patient, being kind, but we also want to speak love and truth together. And it is important to remember that I am telling you on my experience personally, Timory, that it is possible to live according to the Church teachings and have a more free life than living according to the world's teachings on sexuality. And I want to help people in therapy who want to seek that same goal, but we don't want to force that on people. God gives us free will. So it's important to remember those two things, that we want to treat people's love and compassion, but that there is truth that sets us free. And that means living according to the church teachings on sexuality is a beautiful thing. And celibacy is not gay or straight. It's just celibacy. And chastity is a call for everyone, no matter your state in life and no matter your proclivity sexually. That's Michael Gaspar. You can learn more about him and his work. He works with the Breakthrough Clinic, so you can find all the links to their work at radiotrending.com. Just head over to our guest page. We give links to not only the reintegrative therapy clinic or the reintegrative therapy, but also to the Breakthrough Clinic. Michael, you know, I want to touch on one more thing on this story that Patrick has shared as I'm thinking about it, and that is I think that overall, when we're talking about chastity, it's so important in people who experience same-sex attraction, but also I'm going to put people in the same boat who are maybe single and really want to be married. Because when I was looking at Patrick's story, he was talking about how, you know, his friends are getting married, they're having children, they're settling down. And he talks about this profound loneliness that's present and maybe at times even a self-hatred or even a feeling of having no future. You know what? A lot of people experience those things 
in numerous states in life. Maybe they're having a hard time with their marriage. Maybe they have a really sick child. Maybe you're someone who really, really does want to get married, but you've not found the right person, the right person to marry. Maybe you're struggling because you want to have children. All of these experiences, if we allow them to be, if we try to go through them apart from God, apart from choosing to be joyful and contribute to society and see the ultimate transcendent goal of being with God, of course we are going to have self-hatred and loneliness and anxiety and have no hope. That, that experience that Patrick is saying he's had is not an exclusive experience to someone who experiences same-sex attraction. And further, some of that we want to help people like Patrick work through by utilizing the teachings from the Catechism. As we've talked about on your show multiple times, treating people who experience any kind of sexual disorder, especially homosexuality in this instance, should be treated with sensitivity, compassion, and respect, which is going to help reduce the number one negative thing in this article, which is shame. We are called to help people reduce shame by thoroughly showing them unconditional love. And if I can accept God's ultimate unconditional love for my life, my identity is based on who I am in God through Jesus Christ, then my shame will reduce. So reintegrative therapy emphasizes reducing shame, not increasing it. And this is one of the biggest things that is a lie cast by the opposition to our work. They claim that, oh, conversion therapy is harming people. False. We are working to help reduce shame of our clients who have these unwanted experiences of same-sex attraction to increase their well-being, just like Patrick is highlighting he wants for people and his experience with same-sex attraction in the Church. But the conclusion is we still have to lead people towards truth, which will reinforce their worth, their value, their freedom, and their ultimate path towards God and eternity. And I think that's such a huge key is freedom. You're talking about freedom and liberation from, you know, this shame, this anxiety, this loneliness. Isn't that what we want for everyone? And isn't that why the Catholic Church talks so much about sexuality? It's about being freed from the darkness that we allow ourselves sometimes to live in. And sometimes people say, well, why do you keep talking about sexuality, Michael? Or why do you keep focusing on it? I'm focusing on it because... Other people seem to be making it the full story of their own identity. So we, we as Catholics don't only think about sexuality, but we are called to respond to the over-sexualization of the human person and reducing people to these gay or LGBT identities, because that's the thing that the other perspective has started. We are responding to that. We're also called to be free from greed, from envy, from pride. There's a lot of aspects of our spiritual walk aside from lust that we're called to be free from. So don't get don't get it wrong. Don't get it twisted. We're not only concerned with sexuality, but for the individual struggling with same-sex attraction, this is a major cross to bear. We want to help carry that cross with them and help be, you know, the person alongside the path to stand next to them and lift the load alongside. You're listening to Trending with Tim Ray. That is Michael Gasparo. He does great work with a breakthrough clinic. There's one more thing I want to get your take on, Michael. And it's something that I think it is overall a problem in the culture, and I've seen it slide into this identity of transgenderism and um, homosexuality when people say, you know, I live a gay lifestyle and so forth. That is, you know, women in general, one of the things that women can really struggle with is being conceited. 
being vain, right? Being self-centered and just totally wrapped up in ourselves. And part of that is because women are beautiful. And sometimes we can either take that beauty and go out or we can turn in on ourselves and be consumed and, you know, enamored with our own beauty. That's a weakness versus a strength that we have that's distinctly feminine in many ways. And I'm not saying that men don't struggle with being conceited and so forth, but it's been interesting because I see in the culture, we have this deep seated sense of, um, you know, and I think the selfie, that's why the selfie bothers me at times where we have this internal look of how do I look? How are people liking me? And it's not so much about other people liking me. It's about, about me feeling more affirmed and more proud. And I see this in the LGBTQ movement, specifically of the men who are identifying as women or as same sex attracted. Why is that there? Do you think it's just an influence of social media or is there something deeper going on? For a lot of men who experience same-sex attraction, and I can't speak for everyone, but for a lot of men, they have struggled in the gender identity phase of development. This happens for men around two years old, where they have to sort of de-attach from their primary attachment figure mom and reattach with dad, the same-sex parent. And this shift actually is an additional developmental task that boys have that girls don't really have. And so some of the time, if the men have not made this gender identity shift, they might have what we call gender identity deficit in the work we do. Not that they have gender identity disorder, but that maybe they feel like less of a man or that bad or men don't represent the part of themselves that they feel most drawn to. So what happens a lot of times in the LGBT culture is an idealization and almost an illusion, a fake version of it, of the opposite sex that is being integrated into the self namely the feminization of boys in the gay culture. So I think a lot of times there's a fear of embracing their own masculine identity and masculine power and assertion, and instead they look for some sense of identity and that which is most familiar still to them, which is the world and the realm of the feminine. Interesting. Okay, so I'm going to push back here because I'm tracking with what you're saying. This is a lot of what uh, Dr. Nicolosi talks about in his book as well for parents. If they're wanting to maybe address this issue, maybe they have a child who is experiencing gender identity disorder. I'll put a link to that book in uh, the show notes if you head over to radiotrending.com. But my question for you is this. So some people could come back to exactly what you're saying, Michael, and say, well, see, I told you it's all about what you nurture. It's not nature. It's about nurture. What I'm describing is intrinsically important to remember that nurture and nature work together. So it's not one or the other. And so men, boys, have a developmental task that's ingrained in their biology, but is supported by their environment. So it's both and. And I think that that's a really good point that you make because there are a lot of developmental things, not just having to do with sexuality, that can be stymied during development. I mean, some children, for example, you have children in orphanages in other countries who never speak because they're being fed a bottle that's attached via wire to the crib and they have no human contact. They've not been affirmed. They've not, you know, learned that people love them. They've not learned safety and they can develop disorders because of that. So that's a great example where the nurture side wasn't there, but the nature needed to continue to go on and it was stymied. And it's also good to remember that all of these complicated expressions of masculinity and femininity are a bit nuanced, but what you're noticing is this hyper-feminization in the gay community reinforces that something intrinsically in the community is being focused on more than is normal or natural for men to do. 
That's Michael Gaspar. What a joy to have him here to help shed some clarity on the issue having to do with gender identity. Thank you so much for listening. Remember, this is an ideology of our time. It will pass, but we have to be willing to engage it. Learn more about Michael at Radiotrending.com. This has been Trending with Timory. To book her to speak or learn more about her guest, visit Radiotrending.com. That's Radiotrending.com. You can listen to more of Trending via the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or the iHeartRadio app, where you can share your favorite episodes. 